welcome to Minute 140 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again, the same guest I've had all week, which has been such a fascinating week and such a learning experience for me, even though I already know so much about this movie, but I've learned more about this movie because my guest is Stephen J. Rubin, author, screenwriter, producer, documentarian, and an all-around Great Escape expert. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks, Rob. You are a great escape genius. <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> because not only do you appreciate the movie and know a great deal about it, but you've recognized it's the importance of documenting this film minute by minute. And that takes somebody with a great deal of brain power and genius. Well, first of all, I, I have to give you a lot of credit also because, you know, you're the one who, who got me in touch with David McCollum and I had that great interview with him that, you know, people heard a few months ago, but if they, they want to go back, they can listen to it again. Hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll be able to find other people connected to the movie that are still around that might might be fascinating to, to talk to. We'll see how that goes. So, Minute 140 begins with Hiltz kicking the barn. Because yesterday we talked about him slapping the barn, but today he starts by kicking it and goes all the way till we get to see Kuntz as he's patiently waiting for the train. So basically, as we saw yesterday, Hiltz is trying to escape these different Germans that are chasing him through the German countryside. And he sort of hides behind the barn. He gives it a big slap and then he gives it a kick. So we were discussing yesterday what could possibly be the reason that he's slapping or, or would he slapping the barn. But I think your explanation of him making sure that it's not rotted wood that he's going to fall through makes more sense if he's going to be kicking it afterwards. You know, he, he, I guess he, he doesn't trust yeah. the slap. You know, he's got to give him a slap, a slap and a kick. No, absolutely. And, um, and actually when you, when this, you see this, him kick it, you this. actually see part of the wood move. Right. Right. This this sequence uh, is is another example of Sturgis's mastery at doing action. Uh, he Sturgis was an interesting director. If you've watched a lot of his films, he not only is great at casting them, but he seems to have a great instinct for when to shoot his in the action sequences. And I know a lot of this was shot second unit. Bob Relier had a camera crew that followed McQueen around to shoot a lot of the, the motorcycle stuff. But Sturgis came for these key moments, and there's a lot of tension here. For all we know, he's gonna, McQueen's going to pull out his gun, and he's going to start picking off these motorcycle riders, and he's going to die in a hail of bullets. But uh, that doesn't happen here. I mean, they stretch it out, and they, the, uh, the motor, it, it, it's just a really good sequence. And I think that... Uh, once again, Bernstein's score really picking it up the tension moment, the, the, the use of the drum, uh, just just great moments. Yeah, there, there's no question about that. The music adds so much to this to this scene. As we discussed earlier this week, the way that, that Bernstein's music accentuates the, the movie is just unbelievable because it, it's able to, to, to give us a feeling sometimes of hope, sometimes of despair, Sometimes it, it raises the tension, it, it releases the tension. You know, it, it, it's all over the place from a certain perspective, but it helps the viewer get more of an understanding what they should be feeling for these characters at these particular moments. Well, you know, the other thing also is that it illustrates 
how difficult it was to escape from this camp. I mean, there are guards and checkpoints everywhere. You know, the word got out that 76 officers escaped from Stalagluff 3. Every, uh, as, uh, as McQueen says it to McDonald and uh, Bartlett at one point, every, every uh, guy with a pitchfork is going to be coming after you. And indeed, that, that is the tension there is. It's no easy escape route. Uh, but by the way, um, I was hosting a screening of this movie at a West Los Angeles theater, and they asked me to introduce the movie, and I got booed at one point because I explained the fact that one of the problems that Sturgis had in selling this movie called The Great Escape is that... Was not, that nobody escapes. Nobody escapes. <laughs> not obviously, that's not true. We have three people escaping in this movie. But I learned early on that when you're introducing a movie in a theater with an audience you don't know, assume there are people who've never seen The Great Escape. So uh, uh, that's why they booed you because you you gave it you, you gave away a spoiler. I gave a spoiler exactly. Now I, whenever and I've done some hosting ever since I've done a couple of Great Escape things. I am very careful not to give away any spoilers. Now I, I of course I've just oh, made wow. a huge assumption that everybody who's listening to your track has seen the movie four hundred seventeen <laughs> times, like I have. So if I you've seen it four hundred and seventeen times, oh, probably at least that time. Many. I used to go to sleep to this movie before there was video, before there were DVDs. I used to make audio tapes of my favorite movies when I was in high school, and I would play them as I was going to sleep. So I've probably heard the soundtrack to The Great Escape probably uh, two or three hundred times, and I've probably seen the movie live probably a hundred times. Wow. You know how? No, I'm not there yet. You know how when you're uh, when you're uh, scrolling through the TV section on your screen to see what you want to watch, there are certain movies that if they're on, I'll always tune in on them. So that if the Great Escape is on, I'm going to tune in on it. I mean, there's a few other movies like that. I'm a big fan of Clint Eastwood's movie Escape from Alcatraz, another escape movie that I find very mm-hmm. watchable. I'm always watching Tom Hanks in Castaway. Whenever he's in that, uh, I, I just adore that film. Uh, That's also a movie with a great soundtrack. Another great soundtrack, exactly. I love the soundtrack of Castaway. It's just, uh, you know, there, there's just, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, some people say, what are you, crazy seeing movie more than a few times? And I say, well, let me ask you a question. If you're in an art museum looking at a Rembrandt, and you, know, and you look at the picture, uh, which you've probably seen it many times. Do people castigate you for looking at that Rembrandt? I mean, movies are like, to me, art. I mean, not only... Yeah, but you're not going to sit and watch the, look at the Rembrandt for three hours. That's true. That's <laughs> very true. But I think that uh, The Great Escape is pure cinema gold with a very high sheen. Yeah. Yes. No question about that. Right. So we were talking about the fact that, that Hiltz kicks the, the barn and we see the little bit of the wood move. And at this point, as you were as you jumped the gun yesterday on, he removes his helmet and realizes that he probably shouldn't be wearing a German uniform. And then we see uh, him looking at the road and we see two motorcycles go by and then we see two staff cars go by. Now, there were no cars chasing him before. Oh. I think the word has gotten out. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the Germans are very, very uh, determined to get these prisoners out. So that's not surprising to me that every every police officer in in, uh, in this part of Germany is in the dragnet. So not surprising at all. 
Yeah. Now, then we get another shot of, of McQueen where you see his hair sticking up. You, you'd think that uh, McQueen would have actually complained about that one. That, uh, you know, he's got the, this alfalfa sprout happening in the, the background, in the back. Yeah, I, I see it. Um, you know, I think McQueen, <laughs> my impression of McQueen was he was not a vain actor. My sense is he liked to put on the sweatshirts. He liked to get dirty. He looks very uncomfortable in uh, the Thomas Crown affair in a suit. It just didn't befit him. You know, yes. he's a guy who wants to be, has some grease on his shirt as he's chasing somebody. I mean, uh, Frank Bullitt, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's pretty gritty as Bullitt. Um, I think Steve did not worry about how his hair looked most of the time. Now, that's obviously the job of the hairstylist okay. on location. It is interesting to wonder if, um, indeed, they had hair and makeup people. They did with a second unit because a lot of these shots were shot second unit. But I think this was not second unit because it's close-ups of McQueen. I think this is Sturgis with the main group. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we get to see him look out. He's, he's holding the gun, and he looks out once again onto the road, and we get to see the motorcycle and the, the staff cars coming from a different angle, and we also get to see a cow. <laughs> he he could have made made himself a steak on the way, you know. And then he aims the gun at them and is getting ready to, to as you mentioned yesterday, pick them off one but, by one. Uh, see, they, they make left turn instead of coming to him, which is great. And, um, you know, it is interesting that when he chucks the uniform, he obviously also chucked the gun. I think he got rid of anything German on him. You know, there were stories... Uh, there were stories, I think they've been popularized, that if a German soldier found you with a captured German Luger on you, they would blow your brains out with it. And I don't know if that was apocryphal, but uh, I think getting rid of all vestiges of the German uniform were very good for McQueen's character. In this story, it saved his life. Right. Well, and also, you know, we, we, we do have a, the, you know, it, it would look very different if the iconic moment of him trying to jump over the fence, he was wearing a German uniform. Right. Good point. You know, I think it, I think it, it, it makes it more iconic, the fact that, that he's in casual wear. You know, he's, he's, he's got his sweatshirt and his khaki pants. So, yeah, that, that's a, a great shot. And the, the crossroads here is very interesting when you look at it. You know, where the, these, where the Germans turn off. You know, it's, it, uh, it, it makes you wonder why they thought that he was going in that direction. Because you know, obviously he was speeding much faster than they were, so they they couldn't see him. But they just automatically assume that that's the direction he went. I wonder if that's supposedly the direction to the border or whatever it is. No, I think it was a little radio in the car saying, turn left. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Wait, this was Sturgis who said it or the... Uh... <laughs> the assistant director, probably Jack Reddish. Uh, uh, obviously, one, like just like we said about the uh, not having the right papers at the check when he kicks the guard, uh, obviously for dramatic purposes to continue this chase, they had to make some decisions. Yes, completely. Then the scene changes and we get, changes and we get to see a train station with a, a group of uh, German soldiers sitting and waiting for this train to arrive. And I believe, I believe this is once again Fusen, because I think Fusen was their main train station for the st train sequences. Right. But obviously they, they changed the, all of the, the, the various signs because it actually says Erzingen, 
or something like that. Right, exactly. And we, we get to see Kuhn, who is waiting for this train. Now, until I, I... I've seen this movie a lot of times, not as many as you. I've seen it at least 20, maybe 30 times over, you know, over, over my lifetime. And I never realized until this time when I was preparing to, to, to do this, this podcast that Kuhn is the same guy that was there at the beginning of, uh, you know, when, when they brought Bartlett in. I never made that connection that it's the exact same Gestapo guy. I just always assumed it's another Gestapo guy. But paying close attention to these things, you're going to notice things that you didn't think about beforehand. So, Unlike the little guy with the mustache, with the valise, clicking it, shut, shut etc. Preason, Preason. Preason. This guy actually looks like a Gestapo guy. And, uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, the sequence. How far are we going to take the sequence? No, we just, we see him and that's it. Oh, that's it. That's the end that's of the sequence. That's it. Okay. Ne- next week, I'm, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to have the guest that you told me to, to get in touch with. He'll be on next week. I won't tell anyone who oh. that is at this point. And he, he gets okay. the, that, that next sequence that begins in the train station. Oh, very, very good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, the, I will say this, that uh, when um, – well, I, I'll, save it for, uh, I'll save it for the next thing. That's no, good. you can say whatever you want. Um, yeah, this, is, this is Friday. This is your ending oh, the week. I was going to say, uh, since there are no women in this movie whatsoever – uh, although there is a store, I think I read in an early draft, and maybe you too, because the original draft of The Great Escape I read showed where everybody came from. And uh, Henley's character is in bed with a German girl, and uh, basically they're frolicking before he gets captured by the Gestapo. Uh, but that, obviously that went the hasta la bye-bye for obvious reasons. But apparently the publicity department or somebody in marketing uh, when when uh, Ashley Pitt falls on the railroad tracks and he's been shot, uh, they want cradled by a German girl with ample breast cleavage. And <laughs> I think Sturgis heard that in one ear and let it go out the other ear. But as we've talked, about, I, I think, yeah. I think maybe Jill Ireland would have had a problem with that at the point at that time. Perhaps, although Jill Ireland at that time was. Uh, was in the process. She was still with. Well, she was in the process of switching allegiances to Charles Bronson. No, not yet. It's, I mean, as as David mentioned in his interview with me, they they, they were still, you know together at that point. He, right. It no, only no, happened a few years later. I mean, this is right. the point where where she met Charles Bronson. Yes. Right. There was Apparently, definitely a flirtation going on, but uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But um, you know, this is a unique movie. I mean, there are virtually no female characters in the whole movie, which is not surprising for a war movie, but. Uh, Sturgis was very uh, determined to keep the focus on this movie. In many ways, this is John Sturgis's master work. I mean, he's d- directed many great films over the years. One of my favorites of his is Gunfight at the OK Corral from 57, obviously The Magnificent Seven from 60, uh, and Never So Few, where he first worked with McQueen in 59. Um, right, but, I'm but also a big fan of Marooned. I, I, lo- I love what he did in Marooned. Maroon is a very intense movie, uh, interesting, featuring Gene Hackman, who talked about. Um, Sturgis is, I, I think, one of the highlights of my film historian career was sitting in his office at Warner Brothers for two and a half hours and him tell me about The Great Escape. And then he, when I, this was for a book I was writing at the time called Combat Films American Realism, 1945 to 1970. And even though The Great Escape was not a combat film, 
I wanted to include a chapter in my book on the Great Escape because I heard so many interesting stories from Sturgis and the other people I interviewed. And uh, it was fascinating. Uh, that, at that time I was interviewing Sturgis, he had a book on his desk, uh, uh, which became Das Boot. So my sense is at one time, the film, the filmmakers actually considered giving oh, wow. John Sturgis the, um, the film Das Boot, uh, which of course was made by a German filmmaker. Um, uh, probably more Wolfgang Peterson exactly. Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, but Sturgis not only agreed to an interview, a sit down with me for two and a half hours, but when I finished my chapter on The Great Escape, I sent it to him and he gave me annotated notes on what I was writing. So my chapter on The Great Escape in my book, Combat Films, is all wow. based on exact facts and everything. And um, Wow. What year, what year was that that, 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 you, that you had that interview with him? That first edition came out in 81 from McFarlane, and then in 2010, I updated, I included uh, six or seven more films in the anthology, including Steve McQueen's The Sand Pebbles, another one of my favorite films of his. Yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, so now it's the book. Uh, with, with Attenborough also. <laughs> right. And now the book's called Combat Films, American Realism, 1945 to 2010. Wow. And that's available. Is that still in print? Yes, it's Very available cool. through McFarlane. Very fascinating. So anything else you want to talk about uh, about this movie? To, to... Well, I, I think that future uh, generations will appreciate this as being one of the cornerstones of uh, World War II films. I think when you mention this film, you mention it as one of the greatest World War II films ever made. It certainly educated me on the stakes of the war and who the players were. And uh, obviously introduced me to some actors who became very much my favorite actors. I mean, I'd seen Steve McQueen in The Magnificent Seven, but I think this is the movie that really kind of galvanized me as a dyed-in-the-wool McQueen fan. And then with Coburn, Bronson, McCallum, Attenborough, these are all just fun movies. I don't know if you, meant, that you mentioned it in one of your earlier minutes. I was told that... Um, the actor who plays von Luger, okay, Hans uh, Mess Messner, was did not speak English, and that he had to learn all of his lines phonetically. And for somebody mm, who didn't know English, his his German and into English is flawless. I found amazing. Uh, I, I thought he was really good. There, there's no, there is no false real note for me in the whole movie, in terms of the performances, except for that little. That little Gestapo guy with the yeah. mustache. <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned uh, right now. You just mentioned a whole bunch of different actors that were in this movie. And you know, over over the week, we've been talking about you interviewing numerous members of the cast. Did you ever meet or interview uh, either Attenborough or Bronson? Because that you never mentioned, you didn't mention Charles Bronson. Like McQueen, did not do interviews. If you look at Charles Bronson during an interview, if there are any available on YouTube. He's really uncomfortable. I think this is a guy who did not know how to deal with press interviews at, at all. So it was impossible to get him. It's funny because I met a friend of his later on, and I probably could at least got, uh, had the opportunity to perhaps at least entertain the thought, but he never got my request through other channels. Attenborough was in England. I guess I was just traveling at the wrong time to get to him. Um, it would have been nice. Uh, one of the actors who I heard was considered for Bartlett at one time, Richard Harris. Who yes, had, had, I've heard that too. Yeah, who has that kind of a brief moment in the Guns of Navarone two years before playing a British bomber pilot and has a moment 
Um, yeah, no, I didn't get to him, but I had, uh, and my, my partner on the return to the great escape documentary, Deborah Goodwin, she got to David, uh, Donald, Donald Pleasance in the South of France. And then I inter- ended up interviewing, uh, James Garner and James Coburn, um, David. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. All right. Well, you want to say anything else about this movie before, uh, we end this week? I think we've kind of discussed it uh obviously you know i'm a uh, i'm a huge fan of this movie i feel like it's uh one of my historical duties over the years to present as much behind the scenes information as possible which i've gotten out there uh if you haven't seen the great escape you're in for a real treat well if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it you're really in for a treat You're getting a, a first-class, second-by-second, minute-by-minute uh, overview of this movie. I'm not trying to discourage people from, from not watching the movie this way, but uh, you should probably see it first before you uh, dive into it minute-by-minute. Uh, minute. Probably. Yes. But some people might want to do it otherwise. What can I tell you? Uh, now, you, you mentioned that you feel that, that this is going to be this will hopefully be considered the most iconic and World War II movie ever made. What do you think the message of this movie is? I think that um, the message... Is there a message? Or maybe is it well, just I, I a, a fun movie? I asked that question of Sturgis. And Sturgis um, pointed out an interesting uh, memory he had when he was a documentary filmmaker in World War II Italy. He made one of the seminal documentaries of the war on the uh, P-47 Thunderbolt fighter. He was attached to a documentary crew that was filming documentaries. And I guess he was sitting by the side of the road one day, or he was uh, present, and um, somebody was directing traffic. He's a younger, uh, probably an enlisted man. And... What happened was uh, a general drove up, almost like a patent-type general, demanding the way to get through. And this private uh, was telling him to back off, stay in place. And Sturgis noticed a German pre-POW sitting on the ground reading an American comic book. And he thought he, he understood English. And the look of astonishment on this German officer that a private would tell a German, an American general to stay in place while it directed traffic just blew him away. And I think what Sturgis said to me was that The Great Escape was about how Allied ingenuity beat the Germans, who were so kind of stiff and stuck in their ways, whereas the Americans, the British, the Australians, the French, whatever, they, they used their noggins and they... They put their ingenuity together to beat the German war machine. And The Great Escape demonstrates what that, that collective uh, intelligence did to disrupt the Germans. And over the years, they've done huge studies on the fact that the German officer command was not encouraged to think on their own. They, they, they had to follow orders at all costs. And I think that The Great Escape is not only a tribute to the spirit of man to find freedom, but kind of as a dichotomy of how we beat the Germans and how we won the war. Wow. Actually, when you were discussing right now about Sturgis's experiences during the war, it reminded me of the, the miniseries from a few years back called Five Came Back. Have you seen that? Hmm. Yeah, that's about the directors who worked in World War II. 
Yes. Yes. So my first thought was, oh, maybe Sturgis was one of the five. And then I went to go look, and uh, he's not one of the five. So no, uh, it's no. an interesting tidbit of the sixth, I guess you can say, because there, there we have uh, John Houston, John Ford, Frank Capra, William Wyler, and George Stevens. Yeah, Sturgis uh, was definitely a peer, and uh, he was associated with MGM when he came back from the war. I think he was under contract to MGM, and and his first movies were MGM. I think Bad Day at Black Rock was one of his first breakout movies. That was uh, that was MGM, and of course, uh, uh, that was actually the only movie he was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for. Interesting, interesting. I guess uh, for The Great Escape, the only nomination the movie got was for. For film editing. I'm sorry, yes. film editing. You're absolutely right. For, uh, yes, film editing by uh, FAP, right? Was it FAP? Or was FAP the FAP cinematographer? Was the cameraman. Um, no, FAP was the cameraman. So it was, what was his name? Ferris Webster, sorry. Ferris Webster, exactly. Yeah, which I, I, I heard that, that uh, I might have even been on the commentary, that uh, he was basically nominated for the scene of putting Bud Elk, Elkins and, and McQueen together for that for the jump. Or the jump. You know, the way that the way that he was able to put it together, where it's seamless, you can't really tell where it's uh, McQueen and where it's where it's not. Right. Who knows? Nope. Maybe maybe it was entirely McQueen, and we'll we'll never know. <laughs> well, I think we know that Eakins did the jump because he recognized himself. But uh, whereas some people said Steve McQueen did the jump, Steve McQueen did do the jump. He just didn't do the jump they filmed. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating week. You, you've really, you've inspired me more. You've given me so much more insight into this movie, even though I've heard your commentary. I've heard, you know, uh, his commentary. I've heard everything. But, you know, we still had new things for me to learn this week. And hopefully our listeners have, have learned so many fascinating new tidbits about this movie this week. So I, I want to once again thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy day to, you know, or all week. To, to come and join us and, and talk about uh, this movie. It's really been an honor talking to you. Well, Rob, thank you for reaching out to me. And uh, I, I just love this movie, every aspect of it. It's been fun going over it minute by minute with you. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. So you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Um, I have three Facebook pages. One is called just plain old Steve Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. Then I have Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies, where I each week publish a, a review of a classic film. And then I also have um, the James Bond movie encyclopedia based on my book, which is currently available in its fortune, which includes information on No Time to Die, the newest James Bond movie. All right. Excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to the show. You can go join our Facebook group, The Cooler. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. Our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. And our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. So once again, thank you, Steve. Like I said, this has been very educational and a lot of fun. For me as well. Thank you, Rob. All right. And until next week, tally-ho! Tally ho!